welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn along with me to John chapter 2. We're going to look at the second half of this chapter today, beginning in verse 13 and going to 23. John 2, 13 to 23. It says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So, so far in our study of the the gospel of John, we have read how Jesus is God's son. John 1.1 opens with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in John 1.14, it said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So right from the beginning of the gospel here, we learn who Jesus really is. He's not just a person born like us, but he's the one and only, the son of God, the word of God, the lamb of God, the Messiah Come down from the Father. Our second week in our study, we learned about the first people who believed in Jesus and followed him. It was John the Baptist who was called by God to preach and baptize in the Jordan and to prepare people to meet the Lord. And then it was the first six disciples. The first six were John and Andrew who went and told their brothers, James and Peter, and then Philip who went and told his friend Nathaniel. Eventually, there would be six more disciples, Matthew, Thomas, another James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would eventually betray him, the 12 disciples. Last week, then, we learned in our third lesson on John, we learned of Jesus' first miracle and how that first miracle happened at a wedding where the wine ran out. Big deal back then. Jesus' mother Mary asks him to do something about it to help the family. Jesus has his servants or the servants of the serving the meal fill the ceremonial jars with water and then give it to the people. And as they do, it turns to wine. John in his gospel says this was the first of the signs 
that let them believe that Jesus was God. And so today we finish now chapter 2, looking at the story when Jesus cleared out the temple and those who were buying and selling there. And if you read the Bible a lot, you know that this story of Jesus clearing the temple is in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the other three Gospels uh, put Jesus clearing the temple at the end of his ministry. It happens in the final week before the cross. But here John puts it right at the beginning, right after the first miracle. So it makes us ask the question, which one is it? Is it the come at the beginning or the end, and does that even matter? Well, many Bible teachers believe there were probably two different times when Jesus cleansed the temple. It wasn't uncommon. He was acting like a prophet. He was making a point. And so many teachers believe that Jesus most likely cleansed the temple twice, once at the beginning and once at the end of his ministry. Some people believe that this is the same story, though, that John just moved it to the beginning of his gospel because he wanted people right from the start to realize that the glory of the temple had left. God's people and their religion at that point in, in time had just become empty. It was no longer about God anymore. <clears throat> It had become what Jesus and the disciples experienced there about money and power. The glory of God had left the temple just like the wine had run out at the wedding. So too the glory of God had left what the temple was supposed to be about. A place of prayer and spending time with God had become corrupt and turned into a marketplace of greed. And so just as Jesus turned water into wine, he was about to transform how they met with God. The Lord was about to do a new thing in that place. He had come to save the world from sin and bring people back into a right relationship with God. But it was going to have to begin at home with his own people in his own house. You know, I think about this in our own lives, our own churches. We can get frustrated looking out at the world today the way things are. We can point our fingers at this and that. But what about us? What about right here? Let's start in our own heart. What sin do we got in our own lives? What greed and selfishness and anger? What, what are we doing in our own faith these days? Are we truly loving God with our own heart? What about our own home? How are things going there? The love that we're showing to our wife, our husband, the way that we're raising our kids? Are we being a good dad, teaching and raising our kids in the scriptures, giving them examples of putting the Lord first in our own lives? How about in our own job? What about our churches? Are we serving in our churches? Are we connecting with other believers there, patient with the other people there, forgiving of them, showing grace? Are we witnessing to our own community? Maybe before we look out upon the world and see all those problems and point the finger at this person or that government or that whatever, we need to look a little closer to home. 
In Matthew 7, Jesus famously said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what we read for today, I think, is this. In a way, Jesus is starting right at home, in his Father's house. It's a mess. It isn't as it's supposed to be. Before he goes into all the world, he must start at home, right in Jerusalem, in the temple. And I think Jesus addresses two main things in our story for today. First, the corruption that he sees in the temple that needs to be cleaned out. And then second, Jesus makes reference here of a new temple. A new temple that he hints at here will come through his death and resurrection. Jesus says in our scripture, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. And they say, it's taken us 46 years to build this grand place. But the temple that Jesus was referring to was his body. He will be the new way people will come to God. Not through a building, but through his son. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, a new temple was going to be built. People would come to God now through Christ. God would dwell among them in Jesus. And we become the house of the Lord. In John 14, 23, Jesus told his disciples that he and the Father are one. And then Jesus said, anyone who loves me and obeys my teaching, my Father will love them. And we, the Father and the Son, will come to them and make our home with them. When you confess your faith in Jesus Christ, he comes to make his home in you. <coughs> this is beautiful and also radically new back then. That God would not live in the temple in Jerusalem behind a curtain in the Holy of Holies, but that the Almighty, the Creator, the Great I Am, would live in your heart and make His home in your life every day with you. We become the house of the Lord. Not a building, but a people. Back in the ancient world, Temples were everywhere, not just in Jerusalem, but Greece and Rome had made temples to their gods all over their lands. Elaborate buildings with gold and marble and statues to reveal just how important that God was to them. And people went to those temples to pray and worship and offer sacrifices. And the temple in Jerusalem was similar. It was built by Solomon and, and then King Herod later restored it and it had a purpose for a time. It was the place God said, I will dwell in this holy city. People would come from all over to meet God there. It's where he lived. They came to pray, to offer their sacrifices for sin, to pray for a good harvest, a blessing over their child, to not forget what God had done for them. And there would be priests in the temple court and people teaching scriptures there. It was God's house. But it was only for a season that God would live in this place in that way. For in the coming of Jesus, our God was going to do something so much better 
He was going to change our religious system through the life and death and resurrection. Jesus Christ was going to fulfill every righteous requirement that the temple was there to do. The old temple would now become obsolete because of Jesus. What I mean is that Christ's blood would take away all of our sin and the need to make sacrifices anymore. We don't need to bring lambs anymore or doves to a temple to cover our sins to meet with God because Jesus on the cross is enough for all of that. And his word and his spirit would now go forth to live in us from this day forward, teaching us and guiding us. So we don't have to go to Jerusalem to meet with God. We can meet with him right in our living room. He is with us. Right in our village as we gather with other believers. This is how the church began and spread throughout the whole land in every village. It happened in people's houses. They would gather together and, and the Spirit would be among them and would teach them and would empower them. For becomes of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there now becomes a priesthood of all believers. We each called to serve one another and reach out to our neighbors and educate upon which that which he commands. So get this, we become the new house of the Lord. This is what the New Testament says, that this is how Jesus' body is the temple. God doesn't live in buildings that we build for him, but hearts that are surrendered to him. This is going to be the new way moving forward now in Jesus Christ. As we gather in his name, he promises to be there. We could be out at a park or in our room or at camp or in a church building, whether Sunday, Wednesday, or Friday. We could be in South America, Alaska, Philippines. But if we're gathering in his name, it's like we're in Jerusalem, you could say, for he is there. As we gather for prayer around our tables at home before a meal, we welcome his presence. As we break bread or baptize in the pond at the Qualset's house or teach Bible at the Cove, he is there among us, literally. What an amazing thing this is. Brand new, as, as the disciples will see. Carrie and I have a small group of about nine people from the church who have met together for the past number of years on Sunday nights. We started when all of our children were, were little, and now they're so big. We've been together a long time. But we gather every Sunday together to read some scripture, to talk about it, to have pray, food, and to uh, pray together. And um, it was a remarkable thing. Uh, this past Sunday, we were sitting in Amanda's living room, and we were uh, praying to close our time. And as we were bowing our heads to pray, it all of a sudden, it just hit me. Sometimes it does this, and maybe it does for you too. It just hit me that the Lord is in this place. Right here, right now, he has promised to be with us, and he is there. This, this house we were sitting in had now become like a church. It has become a place where the Lord is. The Lord promised to be among us as we gather in his name, and so he really is present when we pray and seek to know how to help our kids, how to make it through this thing. He's right where we are. And that just overwhelmed me last Sunday night. And all of this, you see, this reality that the Lord is with us in that place, it came about because of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
this open the door that we might be with God. This would be the great change of how people were, of the people of God would now worship and meet with God. It would be now through Jesus rather than in a temple in Jerusalem. In John chapter 4, just two chapters after this one, Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman at the well. And Samaritans and Jews, they didn't talk together. They didn't hang out together. They didn't associate with each other. But Jesus did because he came for all people. And as Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, the topic of worship came up. And it sheds a little more light on our scripture for this morning. For in John 4.19, it says, The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, I can tell you're a prophet. Our forefathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. But to this Jesus declared, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so you see, Jesus is speaking here also of a change that is coming, how the old temple is going to be obsolete, and those who are going to want to meet with God are going to meet with him through his Son, through Jesus Christ. They don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. They need to come to Jesus. They do that through the Spirit, through the truth. As, as you know, I take groups to Israel every two years. One of the places we always go and see in Jerusalem is the West Wall. And it's a place that you always see on the news um, when a president or, or someone uh, famous goes to Jerusalem. They always put on the Jewish cap and they always walk down to the West Wall Plaza and pray. And they will at times maybe even write out a prayer and put it in between the stones of this wall. It's tradition. Stuffed into the rocks are thousands and thousands of prayers. Well, the reason this is a sacred spot for Jewish people is that it is the closest place a Jew can get to where the old temple was. And since they don't believe in Jesus... They still believe God is in that ancient place. That place for them is holy. And they're still trying to worship God through the old temple. And there are even these tunnels that go underground and take you just a little bit closer to where that spot was. And when we visit, I see these old women and men and they're down on their knees on the ground in these tunnels trying to get close to God. Thinking that he lives in that spot in a building that's no longer there built of stone. And part of me sees their devotion and thinks it's beautiful. But part of me just feels sad for them. Because if only they believed and knew that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, came to bring down all that divided them from God. That if they would just open up their heart to Him, 
they would know God and feel and experience God right with them every moment of every day. He is the one who brings us to God. And you know, I can kind of understand them a little bit because even though I know this, that, that the Lord is who I meet, is how I meet with God, still, when I want to pray, where do I go? I come over to this sanctuary. I come over to this space early in the morning to spend time with God. Is God more in this sanctuary than over with me in my house? No, he's not. But sometimes I just need a little space to meet with him. When I was in seminary, I found a spot to pray like I, that I liked that I kept coming back to. And it was a little prayer room off of the chapel, tiny six by six foot space. Why did I go to that space? Why did I feel closer to God in that space? Was God any more near me there than he was in my dorm room? No. But it was just a space set apart to meet with him, quiet and alone. Sometimes we need a space, maybe, to help us. But we got to still remember the truth that the Lord is with me as I kneel beside my bed, as much as, as I kneel here. There's nothing more holy about this sanctuary than the drive home or the kitchen table. There isn't. He is with me in both. The temple is now Jesus Christ. It is not a place. God doesn't dwell in buildings. He doesn't wait for you here uh, and, and hope you come back next week. <laughs> he goes with you home, and He is with all who have received Christ, who gather in His name, who pray in His name, who seek Him with all of their heart. Jesus came, you see, to build a new temple. We are the house of the Lord. <coughs> Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says, You're no longer strangers here. As Gentiles, you too are welcome as fellow citizens with God's people, the Jews. He's made one people out of two. We're members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus as our chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined and held together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place and which God will live by His Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in you? There's a growing movement today in the church all around the world. People are not building big church buildings anymore. They're going smaller. Instead of building big, expensive church buildings for millions of dollars with grand auditoriums that mostly get used for just one hour a week um, for a program that is, is done and people come, and times are changing. And not just because of COVID, but I think the church is realizing it isn't a building and it isn't a program you go to. It's a people, a people who love and serve Jesus. And so church is getting smaller in a way. 
And I don't mean fewer people are interested in the things of God and in following Christ. What I mean is that there's possibly a move of the Spirit that is drawing us closer together into smaller circuits. Instead of building sacred places, there's the idea of sacred spaces popping up all over. For example, my son mentioned to me not long ago how he's trying to set up a time with his three friends on Friday morning to gather in his car before school to read the Bible and pray. And it's not just him. More and more, I feel people are being drawn to small, to sacred spaces, Now, I still see a need for the weekly gathering together of God's people to worship, preach, and organize. I still very much think it's important to not neglect gathering together on Sundays or I'm out of a job. (laughs) No, not just for that, but for as important as Sundays are to our faith, though, and the faith of our kids, I think people are starting to find smaller gatherings instead of large megachurches. They're starting to see the gift of a few friends instead of a hundred Facebook friends and a few really good friends who love the Lord and will help them walk in the Lord and serve the Lord. Friends that we study the Bible with, pray and encourage one another, and I love that. Church is going small. It's like we're coming back to where we began with those first disciples who didn't build temples and buildings, but met together in their homes and marketplaces, and Jesus was among them. And as they reached out to their neighbors and took care of their own widows and taught their children and prayer and breaking of the bread, so our scripture is reminding us this morning that Christ is really the new temple. We come to the Father through the Son, and wherever we gather in His name and study His word and seek to follow Him, His spirit and presence is right there among us working. Sacred spaces are popping up everywhere. But the second thing this scripture is teaching us is also that Jesus did drive out the money changers and the people selling things. He did cleanse that temple. We're told uh, it, it was almost Passover time, the biggest time of the year. The temple was the place that everybody went, and so it's full of people. But Jesus makes a whip out of cords, which probably just means rope, and he begins to scatter the animals, pushing back the sellers out of the building, and turning the tables (coughs) of the money changers. He starts a big commotion at the biggest time of year, and it drew a lot of attention. And he says, get all of this out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? (coughs) Now, in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says something just a little bit different. He quotes Isaiah and he says, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The word robbers implies crooks. Jesus is calling all these people crooks. He isn't afraid to name it. He can see what they're doing. He can see into their heart and knows what is happening. They're profiting from religion and God's commands. They're taking advantage of people in situation, and not it's not because they love God and want to serve him that they're doing these things. They're just greedy and exploiting the people for profit. I've always been taught by my seminary professors and commentaries that the rich were exploiting the poor here. For example, the temple tax they required was a tithe, which is fine, but they made a rule that you couldn't use Roman currency to pay that tithe because it had a pagan god printed on the back of the coin. 
And so the religious leaders said that was unacceptable. And so the people then had to exchange that coin for a Jewish shekel that would be acceptable because there was no idol on it. That's why there's the money changers there. So that seemed like a holy thing. We don't want to bring any idols into the, into the temple. But you couldn't get in until you paid. And to, to exchange that money, they would charge you a huge processing fee, which was a big profit to them. So it became a huge burden on the poor, and the rich kept getting rich. Again, disguised in as an act of holiness, keep the temple free from idols, Jesus could see their heart that it was unholy. They were stealing from the people. The sheep and the doves were being sold because God's word required that every man over the age of 20 came to Passover not empty-handed, but bring a lamb from their home, from their family, and two doves if they were poor. It was to remember the lamb slain in Egypt during the Passover when God delivered them. Well, this act of worship that God had asked of his people had turned into some kind of business, a market for selling animals to people who needed them in the temple. And people who lived a long way away, they loved it because they didn't have to travel 100 miles carrying a lamb. They didn't have to deal with all of that. They could just show up, buy one, and it's much easier. And so the sellers, they charge top dollar for this, you know. But where is the worship in all of this? From the buyer or the seller, Jesus could see right into the heart. The Lord knows this had become just a transaction. People were taking shortcuts and forgetting what this whole Passover was all about. The focus was no longer on God, but both the buyer and the seller were missing the point. The temple was no longer a holy place. What is even more is that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had been preaching about and waiting for the Messiah for 700 years, and he is there, and they don't even notice Jesus was literally in the temple, God in the flesh, and they don't recognize him, don't receive him. In the house supposedly built for him, they don't even know him. Would we recognize if Jesus sat among us? You know, some churches, they look like churches on the outside, but they're no longer really churches. They don't know Jesus. They don't preach Jesus. They don't teach his word anymore. No longer seeking to obey his commands, but they're living just like everybody else in the world. They only care about their fancy buildings, filling their seats and their budgets, and the life and the ministry and the worship of God in that place is gone. It's no longer on mission, no longer loving its neighbors or putting God first. It's just rituals and traditions and words that they keep. People come and go and nothing changes. And it's not just our churches that need the Lord to come and clean us and restore us. It's also our lives. For remember, again, it's, it's not the building. But together, as a people, we're the temple of the Lord. And so we take a good look at our lives this morning. Where does the Lord need to clean us out and make us holy? I remember learning and about 1 Corinthians 6.18 when I was in youth group. I remember it because it was about sex, and I was 16 years old. But our youth group leader did a great job of sharing that night and how as Christians we are saved by grace but still called to obedience and holiness and how sex is between a husband and wife and marriage only. 
And it says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, how we're to flee from sexual immorality and how all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And then it says this in verse 19. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And that verse has always stuck with me. And so whenever I read about Jesus cleansing the temple, I can't help but think about my own life that needs cleansing, you know, and how I need the Lord to repeatedly come in and and make me holy. He does that first through the cross and his blood. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. He cleans us out if we ask him to, but then he also wants to help us so that we don't keep on sinning. By the Holy Spirit, he puts into my life, he convicts me when I'm starting to head down wrong paths. He works on me over and over again. He wants me to let go of that old life and to live completely surrendered to him in a new one. To let go of that sin of sexual immorality, which is so prevalent in our society. But not just that. There are many things in our life that Jesus brings to our attention. Many things he's brought into my life over the years. Sins that I got to surrender. Sometimes I don't want to hear them. Sometimes I want to keep doing what I want to do. But he says, be holy as I am holy. And in that scripture in 1 Corinthians says, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And when we begin to look at our body and our life and our home and our work as a neighborhood, as a place where God dwells, then everything you see becomes sacred. We don't just clean up when we go to church. No, because the Lord is with us at home. So that place needs to be consistent to what he teaches. He wants to clean us up everywhere, in every way. And so let us learn this from our scripture for today. First, that Jesus came to build a new temple through his death and resurrection, a brand new temple, not made of stone, but within the hearts of the believers, where God would dwell among us, where all people everywhere are now able to meet with God, know God, and be restored to God through Jesus Christ. And the second thing we learn from the scripture is that there is sin in me, and he can see it. And he wants to clean it out in our churches and also in our lives because he loves us. He makes us holy. By his life on that cross, he forgives me. And by his spirit, he daily works on me, making me holy as only he can. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all Bethlehem Covenant Church's ministries and events, head to bccwaverly.org.